Hey, I'm Chrissy. Welcome to Jameson and Monroe Wellness for Moms. I'll be your host on this podcast that will be talking about all things maternal mental health. Thank you for being on this journey with me as I share my own story and the stories of other local moms. Together, we can bring more awareness to maternal mental health. These podcast episodes contain sensitive material that may be triggering for some individuals. So before listening, I just ask that you be mindful of where you're at with your own mental health. These stories are emotional, raw, but most importantly, they are stories of hope. All right, we are here for episode one, and I am nervous. We're doing it live. Remember, Let's do it. Remember when we were drunk and riding down the stairs in a sleeping bag? And you're like, we're doing it live. Yes. <laughs> I hope that's not an actual podcast. <laughs> All right. My name is Chrissy. And with me today, uh, I have my sister Kayla, who um, is just going to be helping me share my story. Um, she really had a front row seat to uh, my postpartum seasons. Um, and yeah, she's going to be here, um, just helping guide the conversation and, um, get us going. So why don't you tell us how and why you got this whole thing started? Um, the reason behind starting the podcast is truly to bring awareness and hopefully reach moms that, are out there wondering like what's happening to me. I just, I spent so much valuable time on my first maternity leave looking for someone to say like me too. I, this is what I'm going through this too. Um, so yeah, the goal is just to um, be vulnerable and share this information so that hopefully it helps another mom. Um, I know many of the listeners that are friends or family with us have probably been following along on my personal Instagram and I have been quite open about, um, my journey. Uh, but today there will definitely be some things that, um, I haven't shared before. So, um, I just ask that whoever is listening to these episodes and these stories, just remember that, um, it takes us moms a lot of courage to be this vulnerable, um, and yeah. All right. Do you happen to remember the first time you were feeling like, damn, is this normal? Is anybody else feeling like this? Is there somebody out there who's like, me too? Um, Looking back, <laughs> I think I felt that from the very beginning, but I wasn't recognizing it. Um, my pregnancy was uncomplicated my delivery was great for a first time delivery um immediately after my daughter was born though she struggled with um her weight gain and at that time I was exclusively breastfeeding um I still remember Kayla was helping me express my milk hadn't come in yet and she's like, Chris, your baby hasn't eaten. Like, you need to feed it. And I'm like, okay, like, what do I do? And Kayla is squeezing my boob. 
and Riley is holding the like thermometer, like ear cover, because we needed something to catch the colostrum in. <laughs> we fed it to Len in like a shot glass. <laughs> it truly is a team effort when you're learning how to breastfeed. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so she. Both my girls were in like the 86 percentiles when they were born. They were so swollen. They were both over eight pounds. And then um, my first struggled. She just wasn't gaining the weight back. And it was like weekly checkups. And I think that's when it really started. Like my self-doubt started because I was breastfeeding and it, I was the one responsible for, you know, helping her gain weight and growing and all this stuff. Um, so, yeah. Looking back, I think it was, like, immediately. Quite those... soon after delivery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, once we realized, like, okay, I need some help with the breastfeeding situation, it took, like, four weeks to get in to a lactation consultant um, that wasn't privately paid for. So, within that four weeks, you can imagine, like, how many, like, your supply dwindles so fast if you don't get it figured out right away. Um, so we got her weight back up to birth weight and then it was just kind of like little by little she was gaining and it, it was never enough. And I think that's, those are words that like our health practitioners have to be careful with because that was something that really stuck with me was like, I'm not doing enough for her. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyways, we get into the lactation consultant um, and, um, and this lady really wasn't, um, what's the right word? There was no bedside manner there. It was like, you are in a lineup, you get in, you get out, see you later. And I just, I remember like coming home from every appointment with her and I just was feeling like worse and worse about myself. Um, and I remember her saying to me, Oh, your baby's sleeping through the night? I don't care if she's sleeping through the night. You get out your haka pump and you awake, like wake yourself up every three to four hours to keep up your supply. And I, like in my head, I'm just thinking, what the fuck? Like, my kid is sleeping. Like, you know, I just, I understand the principle of like keeping your supply up, but I was just like, this is not, this is not helping me in any way. So, um, we ended up, but I was stubborn and I wanted to breastfeed and nobody could tell me otherwise. Um, <laughs> and I know my sister can relate to that. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, but we went in and decided to get her tongue tie clipped because <clears throat> we thought that she wasn't latching properly and that was affecting my supply. I had no idea, like it hurt like a bitch to breastfeed her. And I kept thinking like, oh, okay, yeah, like my nipples are going to adjust and whatever. But like the first, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds that she would latch, it was like painful, um, which I didn't know was not, um, shouldn't happen. So get her tongue tie clipped. And this was something that I had to work through therapy on. Um, the... Lactation consultant said to me, okay, here's this form that you have to fill out and sign consent. Um, and as I was signing consent, she took Lennon 
and the assistant like held her down and they clipped the tongue tie and they handed me a baby that was bleeding from the mouth and of course it looked like more blood because it was with drool and whatever and she's like latch her latch her latch her and I just remember feeling like so like that situation was so wrong I know that some moms would prefer not to watch that happen but me being a pediatric nurse like I wanted to be there for my daughter and I wanted to hold her or like be involved and I felt like it was kind of this like sneaky situation where I was signing consent and they did the tongue tie clipping so I latch her there's blood all over my boobs um and I left and I just felt like I failed her I didn't I didn't stand up I didn't listen to my mom voice I didn't have the confidence to be like hey like that wasn't okay or whatever Mm -hmm. um and then yeah that did the tongue tie clipping though did improve her breastfeeding things got easier um latch wise but she said oh well your supply has been down for so long um I'm gonna start you on Domperidone and I'm like okay I've heard of that before it's to increase your milk supply um blah 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 and she said to me it is used for like gastric motility but you know the off-label use is for milk supply so I was prescribed um 60 milligrams a day I was taking 20 milligrams at breakfast lunch and supper to increase my supply and um it was working it was increasing the supply and um I went to my final appointment with her and Lennon was gaining weight and everything was going fine. And she said, okay, I'm going to give you a weaning schedule um, to come off the Domperidone so that you um, don't drop your supply too quickly. Okay, sounds good. Um, And then we went to the lake. We took our, God knows why we did this. We went, took our eight week old to the lake camping. Um, Had had a good time with her it it was stressful um this also was something that felt like very unnatural was the lactation consultant said to me you need to make sure she's so hungry when she needs to eat like let her get angry and cry and get mad and sometimes that's really hard for moms to listen to so like give her to somebody else and like walk away and like I remember did she describe the purpose behind that that it was supposed to like wake Lennon up enough so that she was like gonna be an aggressive eater and increase my supply and I just remember feeling like so wrong about that like it just did not feel like a natural mom thing to do but I also was like well I don't know what I'm doing like the I want to breastfeed, so I'm going to listen and, like, do these things. Um, so, anyways, we do the uh, trip to the lake. I let her cry it out before I fed her each time. Um, stressful. And then um, on the way home from the lake is when everything started to unravel for me. 
and um, <laughs> it takes me a very long time to get this diagnosis, but I was diagnosed with postpartum OCD. And what I have learned since then is that it is very typical with OCD, um, especially postpartum, where there's a distinct moment in time that you switch that it, all of a sudden you were fine before <clears throat> that moment and then you're not fine after that moment. So that moment for me was um, we were driving home from the lake and I'm in the front seat of the car with my husband or fiance at the time um, and my brain throws in a thought and it was like, hey, remember that time you almost kissed a girl at um, a party? That means you're a lesbian. And that means that you can no longer have your husband and you can no longer be a family unit um, with your new baby. And honestly, it was like my brain just... Like, I remember the instant panic. Like, it was like full-blown fight or flight. I believed these thoughts like my brain's coming up with them so why wouldn't they be true type of thing um yeah so we things just started to unravel after that point I wasn't sleeping at night um even if like Lennon was a great sleeper for the first few months even if she was sleeping through the night I could not shut my brain off um which obviously is not um, good. It's going to increase your anxiety and your stress and whatever. And, um, simultaneously while this was happening, I was doing the Dom Peridone wean. And so I got to the point where I was just like, I'm not even remembering, like, I just, I don't want to breastfeed anymore. It's not working for me. It's causing me stress. I can't get help because, at the time, Riley was working um, at a town one week on, one week off. So when he was gone, like, I was by myself getting up with her, feeding her, doing all this. And, and I needed help. And it took me a long time to realize that. And I remember my mom probably said it to me 50 times. Oh, honey, just gave her some formula. And I was like, shut the fuck up, mom. <laughs> <laughs> but um, <clears throat> formula ended up being a positive for us. So... As I'm experiencing all this anxiety um, and these intrusive thoughts, like this was probably a period of four weeks. So I'm on this Dom Peridone. I have this moment in the car where my brain, like the only way to describe it is like it latched onto this thought. And that's a classic sign of OCD is like it will pick a theme. So for me, the theme was... um, like sexual thoughts so not only was it like fearing that I was gonna be a lesbian and lose my family it was literally like anything like I could I remember and I don't know if I told you this and I'm gonna cry um I remember I was watching my nephew Kayla's son one day and I'm like sitting in the garage and he was playing on the driveway and my brain started thinking about like what what does his penis look like and 
that in my head, I knew, like, okay, <laughs> this is not normal. This is not me. Like, but my brain is telling me, like, you're a pedophile. Like, you basically, like, you're gonna get caught. You're gonna go to jail. You're gonna, um, you're gonna lose your family. And that's another thing that OCD does is, um, it plays on your values. So, like, the thing that I value the most is my family. Um, and so it will literally take whatever theme, sometimes multiple themes, and it will make you go against your values. So for me, everything went back to my family. Like, I'm going to lose my family. I'm not good enough. Um, you know, all these things. Um, and the crazy part to me is that when you have um, OCD that's out of control, um, you can feel things physically. So for me, with it being a sexual theme, um, it... Um, <laughs> mom brain, I'm losing my train of thought. Um, oh, it, it was making me feel this like kind of pulsing sensation like in my pelvis in my vagina and like kind of similar to what you'd feel if you were aroused but I wasn't aroused it was just this like sensation but when that was happening because I was associating it with the familiar feeling of like being aroused I was I was like oh my god like why am I why am I having this feeling like when I'm changing my daughter's diaper? Like, why am I having this feeling when I'm taking care of my nephew? Mm-hmm. Um, like, it was terrifying, right? And, mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Then, <laughs> the Dom Peridone, um, Oh, so also in these four weeks before I weaned off the Dom Peridone, um, I was engaging in things that are called compulsions with OCD, which um, whenever I thought of OCD prior to being diagnosed, it was like, oh, you're a germ freak. You need to wash your hands three times or, mm-hmm. you know, like people just associate it with the clean like germs. That's really all it's talked about. Um but compulsions can also be like, um, for me, like checking your feelings. Like if I had thoughts about, um, if my brain was like, oh, you're going to be a lesbian. I would, I would be like, okay, wait, do I still, do I still feel this way with Riley? Like, do I still, you know, you're constantly like checking your feelings and you also like, you ruminate a lot so you'll play back your past and you'll constantly like go through okay did you feel attracted to somebody here did you feel attracted to somebody there all this stuff and then um the compulsions were like um or avoidance was like if I drove past a um rainbow crosswalk that was done for pride it would send me into like a panic attack and I'm yeah and I'm like I I never I've never been somebody that um is 
like homophobic or anything like that. Like I've always been a very open um, person and it's like you do you, whatever, right? So these thoughts were very scary for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that sensation that I was getting in my pelvis, it would happen like not only if I was with the kids, but like I would turn on the radio and if it was a girl's voice this sensation would happen and I'm like what the fuck like am I turned on by the radio girl like what (laughs) and you know it's funny to laugh about it now but at the time like literally it would keep me up all night and it was like I it it was just it was terrible it was from hearing you talk about this it almost seems as if you had like the devil and the angel on your shoulders and yeah. the OCD is like the devil. Yeah. And anything that's bad or at least for your case, like connected to what you fear most, like losing your family. Okay. How do people in the world lose their family? Well, pedophiles lose their family, you know, yeah. The, all the bad things. And like, I think in, in instances of like being a lesbian, that's not a bad thing at all, yeah. but in your head that is a bad thing because it would cause you to lose your family. Yeah, a hundred percent. And what I've, from what I've like learned through research and stuff and from my psychologist is like sometimes the most terrifying um, versions of OCD are when it latches onto a theme that is more realistic, like Mm. could happen. So like, yeah, what if I ended up, you know, being bi and, you know, wanting to, I remember telling my husband like, honey, oh my god, I can't stop thinking about this. And he's like, sweet, you wanna you wanna have a threesome? Invite me. And I'm like, um That's not helpful. Like, no, actually, I don't. I'm terrified. Um so yeah, it it was um very rapidly getting out of control and I didn't know. And at this point I was very like embarrassed and I felt ashamed of the way that I was thinking and of course like with the sensation in my vagina I'm like oh my fucking god like I can't tell anybody this because mm-hmm. like I I'm a monster um so yeah I'm going through this like internal battle with myself daily Riley's not home he's working um out of town and I remember like I would just sit on the couch and watch Lennon on the floor and I was like it was debilitating like I I would wake up every morning and shit my pants because like, literally the anxiety you know when you have like the nervous shits it was like terrible and like heart racing chest pain um what I learned after the fact was like I was having panic attacks. It wasn't anxiety. It was I. I was waking up every morning and I was having panic attacks, um, which just gave me a new perspective on like anybody that's had to deal with that. It's it is terrible, mm-hmm. um, and so things are quickly unraveling. Um, I'm really uncomfortable being alone, so I start like asking you to come over. I know you and Cohen slept over quite a few times. Um, when Riley was at a town, I would go to mom and dad's house and I would sleep there. Um, and I remember being in the car with mom and 
she was like, honey, um, like you're so stressed. You, there's so much pressure on yourself. Uh, you know, do you think that it's maybe time that you stop breastfeeding? Do you think that that would help? And then we can take shifts overnight and get you some sleep. And, and for whatever reason, I'm like, you know, you're right, mom. Like, you're right. So in my head, I'm in the process of weaning the domperidone. Um, I don't remember what dose I was down to, but I decided I was just going to stop taking it altogether. Just cut it off because then my supply would drop quicker. And that was the, the goal was I was going to dry up my supply. Um, and over the next three days, I did not sleep. So I went about 36 hours without sleeping. Um, of course, Riley was out of town. I remember saying to mom, I, I need to sleep at your house tonight. I just, I, uh, I'm, I don't feel right. I need to sleep at your house. Uh, I can't be by myself. And she's like, okay, yeah, I'm working night shift, but dad's home. Kayla's going to be there with Cohen. Um, and so I put Lennon down in the playpen and I remember trying to fall asleep in the bonus room on the couch and um I started I almost felt like I was I wasn't in my own body like I was dissociating and I was I felt like I was watching myself from the bleachers and I was picturing myself hanging in my parents' bonus room and I got terrified and then I started picturing myself walking out of their front door. They live like right off of the Yellowhead and walking onto the Yellowhead and letting myself get hit by a vehicle. Um, I was so scared at that point. I left Lennon upstairs and I went down on the couch and I'm like I'm just gonna I'm gonna turn on the tv I'm gonna distract myself like I don't know what's happening to me um and it was about like 4 30 or 5 in the morning I remember you coming into the living room and you were like Chris what is going on like I don't know maybe you can share a bit afterwards like what you remember from that but I remember you looking at me and you're like, what's going on? And I'm like, I, I don't remember what I said to you. I just remember you looking at me and saying, are you having thoughts about suicide? And I said, yes. And I just like broke down. Um, and you went and got dad, um, or he was coming down for work. It was around that time. Um, and of course Lennon woke up and I remember, she was laying on the floor on the carpet on her play mat and like I I felt like I was paralyzed like I literally and you came and sat beside me <laughs> gonna cry again on the couch and I remember you saying did you did you stop your meds and I said um I thought you were talking about because at that point I had been started on my first um anti well, depressant med, but whatever. Um, and I said, no, I, I didn't. I know that I can't stop those ones. And you're like, no, did you stop your, 
Dom Peridot. And I was like, yeah, I did. I just, I just like cold turkey stopped it. And you immediately got on your phone and you're researching and you pulled up this research article and you're like, Chris, I think you're having like a postpartum psychosis. Like you, there's, there's information out there that this has happened to moms, um, who've abruptly stopped this medication. Um, let's pause there. What do you remember from that moment? Um, I remember seeing you on the couch and from what you described as feeling like paralyzed or stuck or dissociated, like you could definitely see that in you. Like it just, you were very preoccupied with something in your head that none of us knew was going on. Um, and you could see the emotion and like how upset you were and the preoccupied kind of distractedness um, and just the fact that you weren't sleeping. And um, after asking you about like the suicidal ideations, um, like it can happen regardless of med situations. It can happen in postpartum to anyone at any time. Um, but with the struggles of breastfeeding and being on the med, I remember reading some of these articles in nursing school and I was like, oh shit, like did you just, did you just stop this abruptly? And from what I've seen from personal experience working in the hospital, um, I find that a lot of practitioners give this out they just write the prescription. They don't go in the room. They don't have the conversation. They don't sit you down and say, hey, the, these are the risks. Um, it's And a lot of times moms have heard of it and they'll come in and they'll say, oh my God, I like I want to breastfeed so bad. They haven't even like had a day of breastfeeding. They just want it so, so bad. And they just want everything to work out. So they're like, can I just, can I just have this prescription and take it home and like, I'll start it and everything, you know, I'll get ahead of the game. I'll, I'll be better before it gets bad. And yeah. And everybody's doing it out of like, just wanting to be this, just wanting to excel, wanting to be the best mom for their baby. And, um, it's all like, they're, it's just, they, they want to do good. And, um, nobody really sits down and explains like, this is a really crazy drug. Like, yeah. It's like a X-rated or whatever they call it in nursing where it's like black box or Yeah, there's, there's a, a black box warning on it. Yeah. So, and I remember learning that it was a black box warning and I'm like, "Okay, fuck. We got to research this." Pardon my language. Sorry. Sorry, um, this one's R-rated, folks. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we we did some research and there was like stories on stories of women who sadly some of them did ended up um committing suicide but they would it was this account of going weeks without sleeping and the rumination and the constant like they were so preoccupied with something whether it would be they were going through psychosis or perhaps they had some form of OCD themselves um and some of them were found like in grocery store aisles like just lost and um it's super sad that that happens and I remember just looking at you 
And like, I, I don't know how to explain it, but at the time you could just see like, okay, this is way bigger than I think any of us could have imagined. Mm -hmm. This is, this is more than, um, more than like, I'm speechless. It was just too big. None of us were talking about it. Mm -hmm. And I feel terrible, like thinking about it because you were just going through this um, and all of us were trying to support each other, you know, in the best way that we could with the time and resources that we had, but nobody was talking about it. Like mm-hmm. that whole me, I wish somebody could have said me too, that mm-hmm. you said at the beginning, like, you know, mom and dad are busy. I'm busy. Everybody's busy. Um, but it's so important. And I hope that this kind of continues on in your podcast that we take the time to sit down and, and have these discussions um, so that people can know that they're not alone. Yeah. And I remember after having this talk with you, dad was sitting with you on the couch and like holding you. And I went to mom and I said, she's not okay. And she's not to be left alone. And I will take Lennon for the day. And I came back to you like, I don't know, 10 minutes later, and you're like, I think I need to go to the hospital. Yeah. Or I don't know if it was mom or whoever made that decision, but, like, it was finally enough is enough. Yeah. You needed to go. This needed to be investigated. And um, crazy enough, um, this was, like, very close to your wedding. Um, (laughs) All of this. We'll talk about that in a second. (laughs) But... It was only, like, probably a year ago that mom, dad, and I sat down and, like, revisited this talk. Oh, really? Like, and that's just, again, such a huge emphasis that we need to take time to talk about these things. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember sitting down with mom and dad, like, a year afterwards or however long it was and saying, like... That was fucked up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like... My sister, your daughter, had these thoughts. She went to the hospital. She was admitted, and we just never talked about it again. Yeah. We got through it. Yeah. And then it was just like, okay, wedding time. And yeah, <laughs> it was like, that really fucked me up. Yeah. I had to go talk with my own therapist about, like, not talking about the things that matter. Because yeah. it just really fucked with me. Yeah, well, and we touched on that in Riley's episode too and how like nobody asked him like are you okay your wife and your baby's mom was having suicidal thoughts like are you are you okay yeah um yeah it was so it was so fucked up and I remember um I remember saying I need to go to the hospital because I felt I'm like somebody's gotta knock me out. I need I need an advent. I need something mm-hmm. because I feel like I am going to like combust. Like I, it was the anxiety was literally debilitating. Um <clears throat> and yeah, of course mom comes off a night shift and I remember her actually calling Riley's mom and and who worked in Emerge and was like, what what Emerge do I take her to? Mm-hmm. Like, is there one that is better? And um, for uh, psych stuff. And um, she's like, just take her to the sturgeon, go there. 
So it was close. We went there. I still remember sitting um, at triage and looking at the nurse and telling her exactly what my thoughts were. And she just put her hand on my shoulder and I was crying. And she was like, you're you're in the right place. Like, we're going to take care of you. And I don't know how mom kept her shit together during this. Like... <laughs> another podcast she, episode she she like i would have been crying <laughs> if i was the mom in the situation but mom coming off a 14 hour night shift didn't she just <laughs> just kept it together and um i remember the doctor came in <laughs> it was such a joke he was like oh you have postpartum depression um not possible that the that the Dom Peridone caused this. And he said, even if it was, it's out of your system. Like, there's no point in you going back on it to wean off of it. Like, just, mm-hmm. it's out of your system, whatever. He prescribed me one Zopaclone, which is for sleeping. One tablet. And what else did he give me? He's, I think he gave me, I think he gave me Ativan. And we, we filled that. Um, he tried to set me up with the psychiatrist in Emerge, uh, who we were literally about to, they were like, oh, he's not in today. He's not in. We don't know where he is, whatever. And like, just as we were about to leave, the social worker was like, Hey, he's here. He's here. Like, do you want to talk to him? And I was like, yeah, he was a very lovely man. Um, couldn't, I didn't get to spend enough time with him. I think for him to like, diagnosed me right then and there Mm -hmm. and I also at that point was still terrified to say what was going on in my head Mm -hmm. um so yeah we leave there we go to um our family doctor uh mom gets a prescription of Ativan from him and they were so great they were like checking in with mom all day like how is she doing did you take it or emerge all this stuff so get into him and that's when I tell him um, I was on this Domperidone drug and he's like, what was your dosage? And I said, oh, I was taking 60 milligrams a day. And he was like, there is a black box warning to not exceed 30 milligrams on this drug. And you were taking double that. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, nobody told me that Mm -hmm. nobody. I'm sorry, but like, I shouldn't have to look up black box labels on medications. Like, the person prescribing it should say, hey, just so you're aware, whatever, or the pharmacist or whoever. So there was a lot of things that were missed. Mm-hmm. Um, Before we move on from the Dom Peridone, um stuff, there's just a couple more things that I wanted to cover. And uh, one being that, as a part of my kind of healing journey through therapy, I decided that I needed to write a letter to the lactation consultant, um, not placing blame or anything, but just saying like, Hey, are you aware that, you know, this is happening out there when moms abruptly stop this medication? Um, you know, I tried to relate as a nurse and said, you know, I, I would want somebody to tell me if, something I did in my practice was affecting them, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't know what I was hoping for with that letter. I guess I really didn't even think she would reply, but if she did, I, 
I was really hoping that she would say, oh, wow, I'm going to keep an eye on if any of my patients feel this way. Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to document it. And, um, instead I was met with, I cannot be held responsible for the way you felt about the tongue tie clipping. Um, basically like it's impossible that domperidone caused a postpartum psychosis. It's because you have postpartum depression. Um, and then she was like, I wrote my thesis on domperidone and <clears throat> basically was like, you know, I'm an expert and this is a fantastic drug to help moms with breastfeeding. And it was funny because she actually sent me a, a research article back with her letter and the research article didn't even touch on, it was like about the ruling out cardiac side effects with, um, using Domperidone. And I was like, nowhere in here is this a research study on the effects this drug has on maternal mental health. And that's because nobody can ethically study this, right? They're not going to put a bunch of moms on this and then, you know, have half of them cut, cut it out cold Turkey. And then the other half wean off, like, it's all based on mom's experiences. And I think that it's just so important to listen to a mom and believe her when she's saying, this is happening to me. Um, and like fast forward almost two years later, I ended up working on uh, labor and delivery for a little bit. And I remember standing at the desk and, um, one of the charge nurses was like, yeah, said to the OB that was sitting there, like, did you see this article that was just released on, um, Domperidone, like causing postpartum psychosis. And I was standing right beside her and I said, I read that article and I said, actually that happened to me. And immediately the OB was like, oh, that, that's kind of odd. Like that's, basically that's kind of convenient that she brings up this article and you happen to be standing here and that happened to you. And immediately I just felt like I was completely disregarded. Like, no, it's not possible. What you experienced didn't happen. And I just, it's so important to just believe the mom when she's saying this, like, yeah, it, it was just super frustrating to not be supported by these health professionals. And I really hope that that changes. So our family doctor's great, but maternal mental health is not his specialty. So he says to me, um, okay, we're going to increase your dose of citalopram is, was the first drug that I tried. Um, you have postpartum depression. And I remember like leaving the office being like, are you going to like, like, shouldn't I be filling out like a questionnaire or like, shouldn't I like, like, how do you know I have postpartum depression? Because I didn't feel depressed. Mm. I, I felt terrified, um, 24 seven. And it was like, this, this can't be what, um, this can't be what depression feels like. So I ended up, um, increasing this citalopram dose. <sighs> 
I realized that I needed to see a psychologist um, and I booked my first appointment and um, this was two weeks after or two weeks before the wedding. Um, so just like imagine this, we're two, yeah, we were two weeks out from the wedding, I think, or not even like 10 days and I have this like psychosis episode and Riley gets called home from work by us saying like you need to get here um so he comes home from out of town we literally just like shut our phones off for two days I remember you sending out a message as my maid of honor being like don't fucking talk to Chrissy right now like don't because also there was covid shit it was like oh now you need vaccine passports now you have a curfew now you can't get married in the church I don't know how I didn't die of a heart attack during that time (laughs) I literally was taking Ativan setting up my wedding decorations because it was just pure chaos um and yeah we so I'm like okay I'm gonna book this one appointment with my psychologist and I'm going to feel better for the wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, fuck. So I meet with her, um, go home. Basically, like, I wasn't left alone up until the wedding. Like, it was like somebody was watching me, keeping an eye on me. Um, Riley was trying to get me to sleep so he would feed Lennon overnight because now we had switched to formula. Um, I remember I slept at mom and dad's a couple nights and I needed to take out of to sleep because I just could not shut my brain off. Um, and then we got married. We, and I remember you looking at me on the driveway at mom and dad's house and you're like, Chris, do you want to go through with this? Do you want to postpone the wedding? Like you just, I don't fucking care if it's a week away. You just say the word like we will make it happen and I was like so fucking stubborn I was just like no like we've been waiting nine years for this like I'm not gonna let this you know take this away from me and I truly wish I don't regret getting married when we did because grandma was able to be there but when I look back on my wedding day um I really wish that I would have felt like me. Like, yeah. I I didn't. I, I remember, like, walking down the aisle and there was just so much emotion because it was like, holy shit, like, just last week, Chris was in a merge and you know like I remember just hugging Riley at the altar and it was so crazy because I felt so safe with him like I like there were nights that I these thoughts would be racing and it was like I'm gonna lose my family I'm a pedophile I'm all these things but like being in his presence and like holding his arm as I fell asleep was enough to keep me like 
from going into another psychosis episode. Like, it was enough to make me feel like, okay, I'm safe, he's here. And I remember just hugging him at the altar. And um, I remember, like, saying our vows. And as I'm reading them, like, in my head, my brain is like, you're, your marriage is going to end. Like, you're going to turn out to be this lesbian and you're going to like lose your family and you're not going to you know get to be with Lennon and like as I'm saying my fucking wedding vows this is going through my head and I, I think like as all this was happening I I just knew like something was wrong I'm like I just didn't feel like myself it was like something I don't know what's wrong with me but something's wrong um so yeah we got married and uh we had the wedding and um looking back on it that was pretty fucked up (laughs) yeah and I mean it was great we we did it but um yeah it it was just kind of like dumpster fire after dumpster fire after dumpster fire in my mat leave because after we got married Riley got laid off uh like two weeks later we had no idea it was coming it was like the only blessing of that was that he was then home with me Mm -hmm. um and I wasn't by myself but uh living on one EI check uh, and him not having any income was extremely um, stressful. And uh, I I basically did not have an option. I had to go to therapy once a week. And that was $200 a session and I did not have benefits. Mm-hmm. So when you think like 800 bucks a month on EI, it's, it's, you can't afford it. But for me, it was like, it felt like life or death. Like I... I have to, I have to do this therapy. Um, I think like, just if we could pause for a second, like you just said, it felt like life or death. And whenever people start talking about like mental health and their perspective on it, like it's, it's the brain is an organ, just like the pancreas, like the lungs, like the heart. Can you turn diabetes off? No. Yeah. Okay, so somebody needs insulin to live. Okay, can you turn OCD off? No, they need you need therapy or medication. You need an intervention. Yeah. And it's this, like, we need to be able to have these two meet on the same scale, right? Like, yeah. Um, eventually, I hope that our world has, like, more affordable and accessible and, like... Um, just like equal therapy for people of all kinds. Yeah. Um, because it's the brain is just as important. Yeah. If not the most important. Yeah. Right? Like, um, yeah, and that was a huge realization for me. Um, I never considered myself to have any mental health um concerns. And now learning what I have about myself, I realize um I have had anxiety my entire life. My parents used to have to pay me to sleep in my room. 
Um, <laughs> I used to make them check for funnel clouds every single night, even in the winter, out my bedroom window. Uh, like, <laughs> it was... I'm like, holy crap, how did nobody know that I had anxiety? Um, but the biggest realization that happened for me was like, this is not something you can just turn on and off. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'll admit, I, I kind of had that idea in my head, like when I would, you know, even through nursing school and like doing the uh, mental health rotation and stuff, like I, I just truly had no idea that you cannot control this. Mm-hmm. Like there is a physical chemical imbalance in your brain and uh, it's out of your control. Um, and that's hard. That's really hard mm-hmm. um, to accept that, I guess. Um, so yeah, we get married. Riley gets laid off. Um I remember I had another kind of like psychological break. Um, I think this was the last tour Riley had out of town and or he went back up casually or something. I slept at mom and dad's house again because I was like, I just I need to be around people. Um, This was in October. So Len was like five months old and I was like, dad, I just need to I'd come from a therapy appointment um and I was like I just I just need to sleep tonight like do you have any edibles and he's like yeah here take one of these and he's like do you want to take half of it and I'm like well no I really want to sleep so I took the full thing (laughs) do not take edibles it was only two and a half milligrams but when you have anxiety like that um I spent the entire night at 28 years old, sleeping in my dad's bed with him because I was so paranoid I was going to go in to Lennon's room where she was sleeping in the crib and, like, suffocate her. I just kept picturing myself doing this and I was just like, oh my god, like, I'm going to do... Like, I didn't feel like I was going to do it, but it was just this, because I'm having the thought, Mm -hmm. that means it's going to come true. Mm-hmm. That's also a very classic thing with OCD. Um, and uh, I remember being like, Dad, you got to call an ambulance. And he's like, Chris, you just need to, like, it's the edible. You're feeling paranoid, whatever. Mm-hmm. So that was another however many hours without sleep. And I remember mom coming home in the morning from another night shift. And I was sitting on the couch and she's looking at me. And I looked exactly how I did before she took me to emerge and I just said mom I feel like I'm going to die and she like in her stern Kathy voice was like you are not gonna die (laughs) and but but she was like (laughs) hugging me at the same time like but it was you could tell it was this like mama bear like I am not gonna let that happen to you yeah um like basically like this is not happening not up in here. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember calling my mother-in-law and she took Lennon for the weekend and I um, took some more out of van and I tried to sleep. Um, I think we called Riley home again or he was coming home the next day or something. Um, and 
yeah, so then I was going to therapy weekly. My therapist um, called me by the wrong name three times. Oh. Yeah. And if you've never been to therapy before, like, that's just like a blow to the chest. Like, you, it's (laughs) already so hard to go and talk to somebody. And then when they call you by the wrong name, you're like, were you even listening to anything I just said? So I went home and I just, um, I remember my friend MJ was watching London so I could go to therapy. And I came home and I'm like, she called me by the wrong name. And MJ was just like, um... You gotta, you're going to email that girl right now and you're going to say you're not coming back. And we wrote up this email together and I just said like, I'm sorry, I can't return. You called me by the wrong name three times. And so she was very good about it and she's like, I am so sorry. Do you want me to set you up with somebody else? And I was so mad at that point. I was like, no, I'm going to find my own therapist. And um, so I met a new therapist who was great. Um, who was very familiar with a uh, therapy called EMDR, which is, I think it stands for, it's like, I forget what it stands Fine for, but it, yeah, desensitization, desensitization or whatever. <clears throat> so it's, it's kind of like a hypnosis, but it basically is like rapid eye movement, um, to like desensitize your brain to whatever like the fear is. Um, and So I was doing that weekly and um, things that were happening at this point were like when I would change Lennon's diaper, I would, I started like um, ruminating on a previous sexual assault that I had been through in high school and it was like, what the fuck? Like, where is this coming from? I already went to therapy for this like 10 years ago. Like, why am I, why is this coming up? And I would get these like flashbacks while I was changing her Um. And so then the OCD part of that became like, I'm not going to change her bum because I don't want to have that Mm. thought. Um, So I would get mom or dad to or Riley to or whatever. Um, So that avoidance was like a key piece that I learned after the fact um, was a part of the OCD. Um, So yeah, it was just kind of the rest of the mat leave was like really a blur. Um, I had come off the citalopram because I didn't feel like it was working. I tried a medication. Um, it was in November. It was called venlafaxine. Um, and that's not a serotonin, um, reuptake inhibitor. It's a norepinephrine. Mm. And the really crappy thing on that one is if it doesn't work for you, it can actually like, so it's making you up uptake, norepinephrine so if that's not the chemical that's imbalanced in your brain and you're taking that like it can make your anxiety worse Mm -hmm. and I totally felt that on there like I was having like full-blown chest pain anxiety sweating um couldn't focus uh so got off that and the trouble with these medications is like you got to be on them for four to six weeks to see if they take effect and Mm -hmm. then you got to wean off of them Please, if you're listening to this, do not ever abruptly stop any kind of um, mental health med you've been prescribed. So, you know, it's a a process. Um, I got prescribed my third one to try. Um, At this point, my doctor was, my family doctor was like, oh, well, we're kind of past the point of postpartum depression. I think you just have generalized 
anxiety now. And I'm like, okay, like, <laughs> you know, are, uh, do you have any more advice for me? Like, what does this mean? Here's your prescription. Bye-bye. Um, so I started paroxetine. Um, and I, it, it maybe like tamed the physical symptoms, like the chest pain and stuff of the anxiety, but it was not helping with like the thoughts and the like feeling of being terrified. Um, so yeah, I'm doing the EMDR therapy. Um, and the thing with EMDR is like, it can bring up things from your past, um, that your brain needs to like deal with and heal and whatever. Um, so like I was bringing up things from like my childhood that I hadn't even remembered. Um, so let me tell you, I processed a lot of things on my mat leave. And when you do that kind of therapy, it's really hard because you, it kind of gets worse before it gets better. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever been to a session where like you unload, unload a bunch of things and you don't go home like feeling better. You're just like, oh my God, like <laughs> I like and now I'm thinking about all this stuff that I wasn't thinking about before. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> so yeah. So it's about December now of 2021, and uh I've met this new therapist, I'm doing the EMDR, um, but I'm still not feeling like myself. I Sure, the therapy was helping and I was processing a lot of things that um, I never knew I needed to process, but it was not helping um, with that like terrified feeling, that fight or flight response that I felt like I was living 24-7. So I'm researching and at this point, like I I don't even know, I didn't even know what to research because I didn't know what was going on with me, but... I'm reading up on postpartum hormones and uh, I find this local nurse practitioner um, who specializes in hormones. So I go and have a consult with her and um, we do a blood panel and she calls me with the results and she's like, yeah, um, it turns out that you have PCOS, like polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I'm like, what? Like, uh, you know, I, I don't have symptoms that I would suspect are from PCOS like I was kind of taken aback but I also was like okay well if the blood work says that then like this is our answer um maybe I'm gonna start to feel better now that we've figured this out and what she was saying to me was that based on the day that I was at in my cycle when I got the blood work drawn my estrogen and progesterone were essentially um doing the opposite of what they should have been. So whatever one should have been high at that point in the cycle was low, um, et cetera. So then, um, I'm like, okay, well I have PCOS, like it's causing these symptoms. What are we going to do about it? So she starts me on, um, progesterone. So I'm taking that and I'm, um, you have to take it at nighttime because it can make you sleepy. So, I'm on the progesterone. Um, I think I ended up being on it for like six or seven months. And 
I finally went to a uh, naturopath and she did a more thorough um, exam. It was blood work. And then I had to do like a 24 hour um, urine collection. And um, she was like, I, I don't think that you have PCOS. And like, I don't think that you should be on progesterone, like based on what I'm seeing on your levels. Um, and so I was just, again, feeling defeated. Like nobody knew what was the matter with me. And, you know, seeing the naturopath, it was like 400 bucks. Like, like I was spending money. I was so desperate to figure out what the answer was. And I, all I knew deep inside was like, I just don't feel like me. I, I feel like I'm not even the right I'm not even like in my own body right now, um, which is also terrifying in itself. So yeah, it was a long road to get to the proper help and proper diagnosis. Now we're kind of at about January, um, Lennon's eight months old. Um, I happened to apply on a job just on a whim I was not even done mat leave yet in women's health at the Alex and um I go to the interview in January really thinking like I'm not gonna get this position and they offered it to me before I left and then I was like, oh my God, what do I do? Like, I'm still on that leave. I'm not ready to go back. And so they were willing to wait until March for me to start. Um, and at this point, Riley had got hired on um, at the Edmonton Airport Fire um, Department. So he was working a really sweet schedule. It was like one on, one off, one on, five off. So we were like, okay, this position's just part time. It's eight hour shifts. You can go back and do it. Maybe that'll be good for your brain to, like, mm-hmm. you know, work on things um, in a different, like, you know, not use your mom brain. And uh, so I went back. Uh, she was 10 months old. I went back to work. I still remember you saying to me, um, I'm crying, putting her to sleep before my first shift. And you're like, Chris, it's not going to be any easier when she's 12 months old. Like, if you're going to go back at 10 months or 12 months, it, you're still going to feel that like, oh my God, I'm leaving my baby. I'm going back to work. Um, so I started, it was feeling good for me. Like I was like, okay, I, uh, I'm enjoying being out of the house, using my brain, all this stuff. Um, and then Riley gets laid off again out of nowhere. Um, so then it was like, oh shit, Chris is back at work. Riley is now going to be working a Monday to Friday job. Like, what do we do with Lennon? So we had to get her into daycare full time. And luckily because of COVID times, like the daycares weren't super full at that time frame. So we got her in. Um, and I will never forget, I was working a Saturday day shift and... Um, I got to talking with this nurse who was casual. Bless her heart if she listens to this. Her name is Michaela. Um, She, we're talking about postpartum and just our experiences. And I was telling her like, I can't work night shift anymore because I just, it 
makes my anxiety so bad and um I really struggled with my daughter postpartum and all this stuff and she was like oh like do you mind if I ask you you know how you struggled and I started sharing a bit with her and she was brave enough to share her story with me and she also had like sexual themed OCD Mm -hmm. and she looked at me because at this point I still didn't have a diagnosis I'm going on thinking I have generalized anxiety and (laughs) she's like girl you got OCD and I'm like what the fuck like because all I knew about OCD was you're scared of germs and you have to wash your hands three times Mm -hmm. and I remember leaving the hospital that day and calling mom and being like mom I, I think I, I think I have postpartum OCD. I think this might be like the missing piece to the puzzle because as soon as she said that, when I was on my break, I'm looking up postpartum OCD. And one point I just want to make is like, when you have like postpartum OCD or postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression, whatever it is, a lot of people think that that means you're having thoughts about hurting yourself or hurting your baby. Um, because it's associated with postpartum, but that's not the case. Postpartum literally just means that that condition appeared for you after you've had a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which was also a confusing thing for me because I was like, okay, well, I'm not always having thoughts about, you know, hurting myself or doing something to Lennon. It's, it's all these other things mm-hmm. um, combined. So... I remember going to, um, back to our family doctor and I was just like, I don't think this med is working. I want you to refer me to, um, a psychiatrist. And I had to find a maternal psychiatrist by sharing my story. Like I started becoming very vocal about what I was experiencing, partly because I wanted, I just wanted somebody to say me too. But also because I was like, I still just had this feeling like something is not right. Like we haven't figured it out yet. This can't be what motherhood feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we, I get referred to, or I put it on my Instagram story. I was like, does anybody know a postpartum psychiatrist? Like I'm struggling. I need help. A good friend of mine um, replied back and was like, message this this doctor get referred to her and so I did and within my first appointment I we had maybe a 20 minute conversation to start she wanted me to give the history and everything she diagnosed me and she was like you have postpartum OCD and and I'm like what and she's like yeah and and I just like broke down and was crying and she's like I really hope that somebody has told you that like this is not your fault this is not normal but like common the thoughts that you were having Mm -hmm. I see a lot of women have these sexual themed OCDs like like she just was like you're not alone and I just remember crying in her office like at this point Len was over a year old and I just felt so like robbed of that time with her like I had spent so many days and hours and nights like researching and trying to figure out what was wrong with me and I just kept thinking like why why does nobody know about this 
why does nobody why has nobody heard of this postpartum OCD? Why isn't it talked about? Um so yeah, I was just like, why is nobody talking about this? Why, you know, why is it taking me 14 months to finally get the proper diagnosis? Um, and one thing I just want to like mention with the whole like suicidal ideations and stuff is I never felt like I didn't want to be here, but there were days when I was at my lowest where I I thought if this is how it's going to be, I can't do this forever. Mm. I can't live in this body, in this brain forever. And it really just gave me a different perspective kind of like on suicide and like what somebody may potentially be be thinking when they decide to commit that act like Mm -hmm. that it's it's not that they don't want to be here it's that they can't live the way that they're living um and I remember sharing with the psychiatrist when I um first met her that I would have this thought with Lennon um she would be sleeping through the night and I would wake up and um see her on the monitor and I would be like oh I haven't heard her um in a long time and I would get this thought that was like oh well like she probably stopped breathing and like died of SIDS Mm -hmm. while you were sleeping and I was so like incapacitated that I was just like well if that's the case, it's too late. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to save her. And I would roll over and try and go back to sleep. And that thought still haunts me because, like, it's fucked, right? It, like, it's so... A mom who's not struggling with what I was struggling with would have, like, ran into the room and been like, mm-hmm. is she okay? Um, so, yeah, um, the psychiatrist referred me to an absolutely amazing, um, psychologist, uh, who specializes in maternal mental health, and, um, maybe for the listeners, you could describe quickly the difference, like, what did the psychiatrist provide to you versus the psychologist? Oh, sure. So the psychiatrist um, prescribed medication. That was the other thing. Thank you for reminding me. Um, At the end of the appointment, she was like, okay, you have postpartum OCD. Uh, There's two medications I would put you on. This one or this one. And I was like, what? You know, like right away. And uh, she was like, yep, let's start you on... Actually... No, at this time I was weaning off the paroxetine. And so she was like, okay, well, like, let's just see how this goes. But if things get worse again, there's these two medications, one or the other, Mm -hmm. that I would put you on. And I was, I left there feeling confident that she knew what she was doing. She was Mm going to follow up with me um, every two weeks or every four weeks, whatever I needed. And I just felt like safe, like, okay, she knows what she's doing. 
um, she's going to be watching me. So then when I got referred to the psychologist, who is somebody um, that would specialize in like the different therapies for mental health conditions, um, I explained to her my story and I told her that um, we were doing, I had been doing EMDR basically every week or every two weeks for the last year. And she was like, oh, no. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, for a mom that has postpartum OCD, EMDR um, is like, it's not structured enough. So EMDR can bring up like lots of different things in your brain. And a, an OCD brain needs a very strict like fence lines like you ain't gonna be exploring things from 15 years ago because you don't need to be worrying about that you have enough going on in your head (laughs) and um (coughs) you know looking back I mean I dealt with and processed a lot of things through EMDR which I'm grateful for um and and I remember my therapist doing the EMDR like she didn't know what to do with me either she's like okay I'm not really sure like why this sexual stuff is still sticking I, d- I wouldn't worry about it because, like, you know, we're processing everything your, na- your brain needs to process. Um, but I had said to her, like, you know what, I think I need to just, I need to find somebody else. Like, this, I'm not getting anywhere. Um, I still don't feel right. I don't feel like me. Um, so I met my psychologist um, and she's like, okay, we need to do a type of therapy called... Um, They actually recommend like cognitive behavioral therapy for OCD, but you can also do um, a therapy called ART, which is accelerated resolution therapy. It's very similar to EMDR where you're doing like the rapid eye movement. Um, It's kind of like a hypnosis, like you're desensitizing your brain, Um, but you focus on that one thing on um, whatever the fear is that's like taking over. So I remember explaining to her like, yeah, I had this distinct moment. I was driving home from the lake. My brain told me that um, I was going to be a lesbian and I was going to lose my family. And then I started, you know, thinking about sexual things when I was changing my daughter's diaper and all this stuff. And and I remember she looked at me and she laughed and I'm like, that's not very funny. (laughs) And she was like, she's like, you wouldn't believe how many people have come into my office and, and have this thought, like these thoughts. Like she said, um, because our world is so like sexualized, like everything is, you know, there's, there's a lot of focus and emphasis put on like sexualizing things, whether it's, you know, girls and their outfits and whatever. It's just, in America and Canada, that's a huge thing. So she's like, it's very easy when OCD starts for it to latch on to a theme that is like everywhere, basically. Um, and so it, I was just fascinated with her um, and her like strategies with me and how she, like she's just brilliant. She, I left there and I said to her on my first appointment, like, I feel like you have been living inside my brain for the last 18 months. Like you just, you, you know exactly what's happening in my head. Um, 
So what I've learned so far from her with the postpartum OCD is OCD will act on the fear center of your brain and the fear center of our brain, um, when you kind of, when you compare it to like your mama bear brain was, it's very illogical the way that it works. And Mm -hmm. so she was explaining to me that like back in, you know, the caveman days, that was a good trait to have, um, but now in like modern world, when that mama bear brain um, comes out and is, you know, rearing its head, it's not always like practical or doesn't always work um, like in society kind of thing. So what happened with me is that my brain latched onto this theme and this Mama Bear Brain, my OCD, I actually named her Violet in a therapy session. (laughs) Violet started controlling things. And as soon as you give OCD, well, I'll just say Violet. As soon as I gave Violet the credit, like as soon as she would put a thought in my head and I'd be like, oh my God, what if? Or, oh my God, like terrified. As soon as you react to it, it just snowballs. It's like, haha, gotcha. Here's Mm -hmm. a list. I'm going to keep a list of what is triggering you. And when the top thing on the list doesn't trigger you, I'm going to go down this list and I'm going to, I'm going to make you, you know, doubt everything basically. Um, it's common with OCD to like, uh, you're constantly like scanning the room for, you know, safety things and whatever. So, you know, you're plugging all the outlets and you're, you're making sure that your environment is safe for your kid. And when you've done all those physical things and your, your brain's like, oh, wow, okay, it is safe in here. It then goes, but what if you're the problem? Mm-hmm. What if you're the one that isn't going to keep her safe? You're going to do something to her. You're going to drown her in the bathtub. You're going to assault her while you're changing her diaper. Um, you know, you're going to do these things to lose your family Mm -hmm. that you value most. Um, it, she told me that OCD is, is quite rare. Um, but that it's considered one of the most terrifying postpartum mood disorders. Um, and it can be like one of the most debilitating, um, especially because it, it often takes people a long time to get a proper diagnosis and mm-hmm. start the right treatment. So, um, yeah, I was off the medications and then very suddenly and unfortunately our grandma passed away um, in September of last year. And um, I remember the day that she passed away, I went up to my husband and I was like, I have stage four ovarian cancer. I'm going to die. And he was like, what? And he looked at me and he's like, very nicely was like, honey, could this be your anxiety? Like, (laughs) where is this coming from? And yeah, after grandma passed away, I booked an appointment with a psychiatrist again. And I was like, yeah, I, I need help. I need an anxiety med. This is not normal. Um, I'm feeling like I'm living you know, on edge all the time and I'm terrified. And so, yeah, we then started, uh, my best friend, Sertraline Zoloft, also known as, um, a little pill saved my life. Um, 
And I've really gotten to a point where, like you said, if I had diabetes, I wouldn't not take insulin. Um, so I've just recognized like my brain is just another organ that needs support and help. And um, I'm okay with that. And for some people, you don't have to be on it forever. Um, it can be temporary. Um, so I go on sertraline. Um, and how I knew it was working was I started talking about wanting to have another baby. And that was something that I, on my maternity leave with Lennon, was like, I can, I'm not strong enough to do this again. I cannot go through this. I, no. Um, and I've always wanted more than one baby, but after what I went through with Lennon, I was like, I can't do this. And so I was on the sertraline. And I started feeling better and I started feeling like more in tune with my body. That kind of dissociation was fading and I was feeling more like me. Um, and yeah, I basically six weeks after starting Sertraline is when we got pregnant. Um, a little bit faster than we thought it would happen, but we, we wanted to have another one. Um, and so... The nice thing about being in touch with a uh, maternal psychiatrist was that she knew what drugs were safe um, to be on when you're pregnant, when you're breastfeeding, like all those things. And that was something that we had talked about prior to starting the sertraline. She said, if you choose to get pregnant again, this is something that you don't have to come off of um, while you're pregnant. And I knew for me, I it was not safe for me to come off that drug. Like I needed to be on it during my pregnancy because I wanted to feel like stable and mm. and like me um so yeah pregnancy was rough terrible I just literally caught every virus bug whatever I used up more sick time than I have ever used in my entire life um but I made it through I made it to the end Another interesting thing when you're pregnant and you're on um, like an SSRI, when you get to the second or third trimester and your water like to body ratio um, increases, it can affect the absorption of your medication. So my psychiatrist had kind of warned me all along, you're going to um, likely need to increase towards the end of your pregnancy. And it's not because your symptoms are worse or you're not doing anything wrong. It's literally just that your body is different like towards the end um so yeah I I think I had started on 75 milligrams of sertraline at the beginning and then by the end of the pregnancy I was on 200 milligrams um we are still currently dealing with just like my hormones fluctuating um so I'm on 300 milligrams of sertraline right now actually um and I'm taking trazodone on top of that to help me sleep. Um, I, we just learned with Lennon that like, for me, sleep is such a huge trigger for my anxiety. So this time I chose not to breastfeed. I, we went straight to formula so that I could have that support right off the get-go. Mm-hmm. Um, I still do feel like guilt about that decision. Um, that I didn't breastfeed my second. Uh, I wish that the experience would have gone better for me the first time. So I, I had the confidence to do it again. But I also 
was able to kind of recognize my limits and be like, you know what? It's you have the support. The sleep is important for you postpartum and your mental health is important. And it took me a very long time to realize that my mental health is not only important to me, but it's important for my babies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like the saying, a happy mom, a happy mom means a happy baby is so true. Like if something is not working for you, whether it's your baby sleeping in a crib, if they sleep better, co-sleeping, like who cares? You have to do what's best for your mental health. So if that means stopping breastfeeding and going to formula, like it does not matter what anybody says to you, whatever works for you and your family is what is right for you. Um, but yeah, of course, especially as a first time mom, you just don't, you just want to do the best for your kids and, and, you know, it's, it's hard to get to that point of accepting those things. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I wanted to mention in this story. Is there anything else you can think of? Um, if you don't have any more topics that you want to review, is there anything that you, if they've made it all the way to the end, if you want to leave your listeners with just something to look forward to in future episodes, what your goals are? Yeah, um, I would like to, um, first of all, thank you for listening to this first episode. Thank you if you are made it this far. I'm sure this is going to be a part one and a part two. Um, I am really looking forward to taking on this adventure while I'm on maternity leave again and just helping um, bring more awareness and just helping other moms feel like they're not um, alone. Um, I am an open book and I'm always here for anybody that needs, um, just an ear to listen to, um, there's no judgment. Uh, trust me, I've had every crazy thought in the book go through my head. Um, so just never be afraid to share those thoughts and, reach out and advocate for yourself like god if if it doesn't feel right if you know that something is wrong and you you don't know what it is but you just don't feel like you like keep keep going to the doctor keep going to find resources and um yeah i feel like something really powerful happens when moms support other moms and I think that's where maybe leave off is just um I'm excited for this journey and um yeah there's going to be a lot of amazing wonderful stories that get shared on here and I think people are going to realize that uh it's way more common than we think yeah so thank you for staying awake 
<laughs> Kayla had to bribe her kid and <clears throat> tell him that after Auntie and her had a meeting, <laughs> she would go pick him up from his bed and he could sleep in her room. So whether I follow through with that or not, you will never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's currently like 10 p.m. on a what freaking day is it? Two Tuesday. I had to have an energy drink to be here and Kayla's falling asleep and we're tired <laughs> and you should see the setup. I have a laptop on a laundry basket and we're here. We're here. We did it. That concludes episode one and probably part two. So we will see you for the next episode. Bye. If this episode resonated with you, know that you're not alone and there is help available. It does get better, I promise. If you or someone you know is struggling with their mental health, reach out to your doctor or call the Alberta Mental Health Line at 877-303-2642. If you just need somebody to listen, I'm here for you too. If you feel empowered to share your own story, please reach out to me on Instagram at jm dot wellness for moms or by email at jm wellness for moms at outlook.com before i go i just want to thank you again for being here your mental health matters period it matters for you and for your baby so please remember you are enough and you always will be we'll see you for the next episode